Um, if you don't have Bibles, we have Bibles in the back as well. You can grab your one if you need it. Um, let me get it. That one. There we go. All right. So I titled this, God has a definite plan for the end. Right, so, so he has a whole plan. He has everything planned out from beginning to end. Uh, and uh, as we know, the last book in the Bible is Revelation. So that explains a lot of everything else that happens. But as Paul is going and preaching to people through and starting his churches, he is telling them and including what the eschatology is or the study of the end times. Right, So Jewish, the Jewish people understand this is how it's going to happen. Uh, particularly from the book of Daniel, right? So the back half of the, of the book of Daniel that we went through, I guess two years ago now, maybe at least, um, right? It talks all about the end times, right? So you have the seven years, tribulation, you know, is it figuratively or literally seven years, things like that. So we touched on some of it. So now Paul is bringing it up because I kind of imagine, because Paul alludes to the fact that they taught them these things, because they're not Jewish, they didn't grow up Jewish people as, as a Jewish people in their religion, so they had to be taught all these things. So I imagine this, like this super compressed, like all day, all night teachings of Paul, I guess you could go and just hear, and just hang out wherever he's at and just listen to him talk. Um, so, because they're getting a lot of information that they already have, and, and Paul is kind of reminding them that we'll see in a few minutes that, hey, I've already told you guys this stuff, but just kind of reiterate, right? So they had to get all these instructions at some point right but but i was trying to figure out a good good way to loop in a story or have have a good uh, illustration to not make this you know boring or anything um so i looked it up and i started thinking about all the natural disasters we have around here right we have the fires going on and things like that but one of the interesting things is that uh that california has 20 volcanoes did you guys know that no. there are 20 volcanoes in california that's mount shasta so mount shasta is actually a volcano in case you didn't know that. Um, and Mount Lassen, which is not in the picture, but you can actually see, if you're on five, I, I, I-5 at the right time, the right clearness and everything else, you guys can see Mount Lassen and Mount Shasta kind of at the same time, right? So there are also, Yosemite has five volcanoes on the eastern side of the park, or like, I guess they're kind of outside the park, right? So it's not very far from here, a couple hundred miles. There's also a few other in the eastern Sierras, right? And so many of them are dormant. So we don't have to worry about... Wait, what is that? Is that the last one? Why is that on there? Huh? Yeah. Well, that's... I don't want to on that one. Thanks. <laughs> that's for the end. <laughs> so most of them are all dorm, dormant, right? They're not spewing ash like the picture we just saw. Um, that was Mount... Uh, Mount St. Helens, actually, during, I guess during the eruption. Um, but Mount Lassen, which is kind of close by Mount Shasta, which is near my in-law, where the, my in-laws live, it last erupted in 1915. So, you know, a little more than 100 years ago, it erupted. But there's still evidence there's stuff going on, right? We, you can go up there to the sulfur springs and the, the hot springs and things like that and see the water bubbling and the steam vents and things like that. You know, and, and uh, Yellowstone is also a giant caldera. You know, it's like a... So if it blows up, it's like an underground volcano. If that blows up, they said, it would be a huge, like, megaton bomb going off kind of thing, destroying Wyoming and Utah and parts of other, other parts of the world, right? So there are these things going on under here, the hot mud, the bubbling. You know, it's all in, like, Lassen Volcanic National Park, which you can go see. 
And so no one can say when this, these volcanoes are going to erupt. You just hear the, well, it last erupted at this time, and it usually is, you know, hundreds of years or thousands of years between eruptions or whatever, right? So you're like, okay, it's fine. We're not going to get blown up. Um, and again, you can walk around and see how beautiful it is. You can drive and see how beautiful Mount Shasta is, like that picture, or just driving along I-5 if, you if you're going north. But like that, we call it Mount Shasta, so it just looks like a mountain. And you forget what's underneath there, what's all of that underneath there. Right? And so even, what, I think it was last year that Kilauea, I think, was erupting. Right? And, and it's still kind of forming Hawaii with all the lava. A lot of these ones here on the east of the west coast seem like they're a lot more ash. Um, but, but it's easy to forget what's going on and what is, the, the, unfortunately, the pending, impending doom, in a sense, that can be there. Right? And it's the same thing with the life of a believer. We know that one day this world is going to end, but it hasn't happened yet. So we're like, well, I got time, right? I have, I have plenty of time before the Jesus comes back. There will be some signs. It'll probably be in the paper before we get there, you know, things like that. We kind of think that way, that, that I have plenty of time to do this, right? But, or maybe it's just not even true anymore. Maybe it's really not true. Maybe they kind of have it wrong. But for the church of Thessalonica, right, it's the equivalent of living about 1920, where they knew, you know, they, people saw Jesus go, be born, was killed, resurrected, and ascended back to heaven. And they knew he was coming back. And they just, they, they thought it was going to be very soon in their lifetime. But in the meantime, you know, this, you know, several years after, this is about 43-ish, you know, mid-40s AD, so roughly 10 to 15 years after Jesus died and resurrected and everything else, they're like, okay, well, he's going to come back. So what happened to the people who were believers, but they died in between here? Are they going to come back? Right? Do, are, they get are they going to get resurrected as well? Is it just us? Right? Because they have loved ones. They have family members who, who were, became believers. And then they died. So they were worried about their eternal state. Right? And the same thing with us. We probably hope that hopefully we do the same thing. Like, well, I hope we get to see everybody in heaven. Right? That, that's kind of a... A thing that we think about, probably hopefully not a lot, because we don't want to consume our, our, our brains or our lives, but at the same time, it's important that we understand this. And so kind of like the volcano, they're waiting for this thing to happen, and they're, so they're asking Paul these questions like, what happens when? What happens with the people who passed away? And so he's going to answer these questions here, we're going to see in a few minutes as we go through this. And so this is he talks about the, the, the comfort of Christ coming, and then he's also going to talk about the day of the Lord. So you kind of have two extremes. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, things like premillennialism, millennialism, or pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, a little bit of that stuff. A lot of times the end time stuff is the stuff that people really like to talk about, um, you know, the Left Behind series, things like that, and how, the, how everything's going to happen. So Paul actually goes into this and talks about the rapture. Because this is this is where this is the chapter where the idea of the rapture is really kind of explained and uh, and talks about what it is, right? <clears throat> and so we're going to go ahead and read. We're just going to read First uh, Thessalonians chapter four. We'll read verses thirteen through eighteen, and then as we when we get to chapter five, if you look at the outline, we'll we'll go through those verses as well. I'm not going to read all of those ones for the, right now, though. So here is First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen, and we'll go all the way to eighteen. Paul says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring him those, bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and that the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. All right, so he is laying it out. He's answering their question of what happens when believers die before Jesus comes back. So the answer very clearly is that, that we're going to be all resurrected. So, so the big idea of this for today is that God is preparing us for the end, right? That is what he's doing through all of this, through the whole, all of Paul's letters, all the New Testament, even the Old Testament. He's preparing us for the end. Right? He, he, he made us in the, in the beginning. We fell. We caused, you know, Adam and Eve caused the sin to enter the world. And so everything is to get us back to the end, right? That's what Jesus is, a bigger part of Jesus' work is to get, to rectify us, to justify us with God again. And so the first point is, is, that, is that God comforts us in the end, right? Again, this is comfort. Jesus says, not like those people who don't have any hope, right? We're not going to grieve like those people who don't have any hope because we know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen, what's going to become of us, and what's going to become of our family and friends who are believers. We're going to be resurrected, right? So we know that we are not on this world permanently. We know we are not here forever, no matter what. This world is not even here forever because it's going to get remade. And so the promise of Scripture is that the believers will be called up into heaven with the Son of Man when he comes on a cloud, right? And that's from Daniel. That's from Jesus' own words. And that's what Paul is reiterating here. That when when Jesus comes back, it's going to be with the sound and the voices and everybody's going to come out of the ground. The The dead will rise and we will go with them, right? So... We hear these three things. First, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. The archangel's voice and the trumpet of God. Right? There's going to be this tremendous noise heard all over the world. If we know what's going on, oh, that's the town. And so the secondly, the, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then thirdly, those who are still alive will be caught up together and meet the Lord in the air. Right? The dead will be resurrected just like Jesus was resurrected. And we will all ascend to heaven. And so John, or Jesus explains this in John 5, chapter 5, verses 28 through 29. He says, Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation, right? So there is going to be a resurrection where everybody comes out of the grave and everybody will stand in judgment. And that is most likely at the day of the Lord. And we're going to see that later. We'll talk about that in the next few minutes. But... That is what it coincides. That's what Paul is consistent with what Jesus taught because he was teaching it from Jesus' words, right? Teaching it from the Old Testament. And if you remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the difference was the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, right? So they, they were trying to refute that whenever Jesus brought it up and he said, no, this is how it's going to be. So if you've lost loved ones or if Jesus has not come back in our lifetime, right, we will be raised up. And you'll join not only your family who is still alive, but more importantly, we're all going to meet God in heaven. And so that's comforting because we know where we're going. We have a place to go. We're not just here and we just get put in the ground and we're done. 
Right? Our spirit will go, our bodies will be resurrected as well. We will have a new body as well. Right? And this is what's known as the rapture, right? This is what happens. You kind of, they make some movies or, or, or books about it where we see this, the noise, and people, and all of a sudden your clothes are there. You know, they're just a pilot. There's your, whatever you had on for that day is now in your seat, in your car, or whatever it is. You know, like, well, where'd you go? I guess you don't need clothes in heaven. I don't know. Get new clothes. Um, but the rapture is going to be unexpected, right? There's no 100% clear signs, right? Jesus says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, but he said that's not even the time. All these things are going to happen, and all of a sudden it's just going to boom. So, you know, there's always people who want to say that the, Jesus is going to come tomorrow or last week or this week or next month, you know, and it's very dangerous to get into that because you can take, now I'm going to say this, things are moving, things are happening because God is making and acting this plan, right? We are moving towards the end. We've always been moving towards the end. So from one standpoint, that hasn't changed. That's, this whole book moves us towards the end. But there are things going on. You can look into politics and look and see what's going on even today in the news cycles. Things that line up, you know, that without shoving too hard into the shoebox is what I call it. Things are lining up. Now, I'm not going to say that we're definitely, the clock says 1055 and we have however much longer, right? But, I mean, it's, you can see things are moving. But Louis Burkhoff, who's a theologian, explains that the Bible intimates that the measure of surprise at the second coming of Christ will be an inverse ratio to the measure of their watchfulness. And theologian Millard Erickson says that the coming will happen so fast there will be no time to prepare. So here's the application point for this. Is our souls must be prepared because when the trumpet calls, that is the final bell. We have to be prepared ahead of time. We can't know when God's going to come back. It's kind of like why we don't broadcast to our enemies when we're going to pull out of a country. Right? Hey, guys, we're leaving tomorrow. The last guy's leaving tomorrow. He'll be out of there by noon. So at noon 01, they're rolling in after the plane takes off. Going, what's ours again? Right? Because he, God knows... That we are the way we are, and we're going to say, well, if he's not coming back till November 4th at noon, I have until November 4th at 11.59 to get saved. So I can do whatever I want up until that last minute, and I can say, yep, I believe you. I believe that you're my Lord and Savior. I'm all better. And yes, you can. So I want to make sure we're, we're aware of that. Yes, you can. As untasteful or distasteful as that may be, to us when we think about people who are, you know, mass murderers or we'll say Adolf Hitler, things like that. Yes, that's how it works. If you ask for forgiveness from God and he has chosen you, then yes, you will be saved. That's the way it works. But we don't know when it's happening. So we can't, we don't have that luxury to wait. So it's imperative because this return is imminent. It's going to happen at some point. But the question is, how do we get prepared, right? There are steps we take for the natural, natural disasters, right? For fires and volcanoes, you watch things. They have seismic sensors out everywhere so you can see the earthquakes. When they start, the earth starts moving, they kind of know that maybe something's up. Something may be happening around the volcanoes, around the fires here. So we, are, we, we have our lockbox of our papers just in case we have to go 
you know, even like last year, I think it was, there was a couple fires even over in like a mile or two from our house. They were small, but we don't know how, they're, how fast they're going to grow, right? You'll have your bag packed, your suitcase handy to grab it and pack it and go. Right? But you get warning for that. You get a notice now. It's nice. You get a notice from the county. It says evacuation orders are, are in play. Go somewhere else. And don't take this road because you're going to block it up. But for believers, our spiritual bags are already packed. Our tickets purchased. We already know. We're just waiting for the flight. We're just waiting. But for the non-believers, we need to help them pack. We need to help them understand that you need to be in this line over here. This is the line to get on the plane that's leaving. That one is the, you're, you're stuck in the airport forever. And, and being in an airport, stuck in an airport is really like being in hell. So, <laughs> you know, you, you, you want to just, have, hey, come over here. We can get out of here, right? We have to explain the gospel to them, and then the Holy Spirit is going to stamp their passport if they're able to get on the plane, right? We tell them, we're kind of the ticket agency a little bit, like, hey, we're going to help you purchase the ticket, but God is already getting the ticket. He's already bought it. He's like, here you go. Here's your tickets. So, but we have a, we do play a part in that, right? Because people can make guesses as to when the world's going to end and Jesus is going to come back, right? There's going to be several, there are going to be some signs. We, we can know certain things. But really, because, again, this, is, this, this, this question of when he's going to come, like how well did you get close to knowing when he's coming back is not part of the question to get in heaven. Right? It's not a test. You don't get to win the pool. Like everybody throws in five bucks and says, well, I think he's going to come back on January 21st. And, well, I think he's coming back February 3rd and whatever, this year, that year, whatever. Right? There's no, you don't get extra credit for that. So no matter when you think this is going to happen, the most important part is that this is going to happen. The undoubtable fact is that the rapture will take place. It's just a matter of when and how, and we don't know that. So people like to discuss it and argue and you know, have big discussions about it, but it's, ultimately it's unimportant because the most important thing is that we know that it is coming. So when I was in Quito, Ecuador, in 1999, there was a volcano, like a Above the city, the city's like 9,000 feet, and so this volcano's like 12,000 feet. And it was, I could see it from my, my apartment, and it was like smoking. And it just kind of sees, and like every day there's a little bit more smoke and a little bit more stuff. And I'm like, man, I hope I get out of here before it blows up. So luckily I did, right? So it was like, it was going on for like a month or two actually, because it, it was, so I was there for four months, and about half the time I was there, it was doing this stuff. Like, this doesn't look good, you know. So about two months later, after I left, it actually finally, it erupted. It blew a huge cloud of ash over, out of the top and all over the city. You know, it shut down the airport, shut down all kinds of things. Um, you know, but I was watching it. I was waiting, and I was hoping I would get out of here before everything happened. Right? But Paul is telling the Thessalonians that this rapture is going to take place, and they should encourage each other that this word is true, right? We have hope that the non-believers don't have. Because we know where we're going, right? He's encouraged them to say, look, you guys know this is going to happen. We're all going to be taken care of because we're believers. Whether we're, dead, we're passed away today or we're still alive today, when it happens, it's, it's all the same. Because God is watching the game clock, so to speak, right? And he knows how much time is left. So this is the second point, that God knows when the time, when the end will come. So, verse, so we move into chapter 5 now, verses 1 through 5, right? And Paul says, about the times and of the seasons, brothers and sisters... 
You do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains in a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark. For this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night and of the darkness. So the opening psalm that we read, I chose it because in the NASB it titles it the, the uh, prayer of the night watchman. The, the Lord of the, the temple. Something like that. So the interesting thing is, right, those who stand in the Lord's house at night, right, you're, you're just awake, you're watching, you're guard, regarding, right? And so Paul, he's transitioning to this from the rapture to the day of the Lord, which are two separate events. And he says, you guys know that this day is going to come just like a thief in the night. People are going to sneak, you know, thieves are sneaky. They try to get in when, when they think everybody's asleep. When you think everything's peaceful and secure in your house, they're still going to try to figure out a way to break in. So that's when, that's when it happens, right? When people say peace and security, but then sudden destruction will come upon them, just like the volcano, just like, oh, we're not going to have a fire here. We can't. Nothing, nobody will break in. My house is secure. I have locks. I don't have to worry about it. That, that volcano hasn't erupted for 200 years, 2,000 years, whatever it is. But yet here we are, it's erupting, right? Everything's fine. We have plenty of time before Jesus comes. I got, I got all the time in the world. So I can delay my acceptance of Jesus just a little bit longer. Right? But Paul is warning the people who are unbelievers that they are not going to escape the wrath of God. We'll, we'll cover it, but that's in verse 9. He encouraged the church... By saying, you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark, right? You know, you have been told what is dark and what is light. And God is light, and we are standing, if we are children of God, we are in the light. And so for this day to surprise you, like they are, right? You are awake, you are standing watch. And so you won't be surprised, really, by the arrival of Jesus. Because we are looking, right? Just like the, the parable of the ten virgins. They were waiting. They were watching. They had their wicks and oil ready to go for the lamp for the night. They had it already. Other people, they had to go out and buy it. Like, well, you missed the boat. Right? You, you, you were out of the store. Jesus came, took us. We went to the party. You guys couldn't come. You guys don't get in. Right? Again, the volcanoes, they have a lot of sensors. They can monitor everything, right? We have people watching for fires, things like that. And they can put out a warnings as early as possible. But there's really no system in place for that other than just being prepared and being ready. So here are the three positions for the rapture, though. And we're going to go to the rapture, then we'll talk a little more about the day of the Lord. So you have your pre-tribulation. So that's going to be before the seven years. So we won't see, the church will be gone before, before anything bad happens. Right? Before the stuff, the really bad stuff in Revelation happens, we're going to be out of here. We'll be in heaven hanging out, and we're going to come back later. Then you have uh, what's called a mid-tribulation position, so at the three-and-a-half-year mark. So we endorse some of it, but not all of it, right, before the really bad stuff happens. And then you have a post-tribulation position. So after the seven years, but before the day of the Lord, there will be a tribulation. We're going to live through all of it. We're, we, we as the church will live through the entire tribulation, and we'll be gone before the day of the wrath, the day of the Lord appears, right? Before the actual wrath happens, right? So all of these things are terrible that we have to that we want to suffer. God's wrath 
we will be skipped. We, we will get out of God's wrath. Right? And so we will end up having to suffer certain things, but not actually have to suffer God's wrath. So in Joel chapter 2, which is one of the minor prophets, he has the, probably the most, we'll say, definite description of the day of the Lord. He says, Blow the horn in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the residents of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and total darkness. Like the dawn spreading over the mountains, a great and strong people appear, such as never existed in the ages past, and never will again in all the generations to come. A fire devours in front of them, and behind them a flame blazes. The land in front of them is like the Garden of Eden, but behind them is like a desert wasteland. There is no escape from them. Their appearance is like that of horses. They gallop like war horses. They bound on the top of the mountains, and their sound is like the sound of chariots, like the sound of fiery flames consuming stubble, like a mighty army deployed for war. Nations writhe in horror before them. All faces turn pale. Right, and it kind of keeps going on like that. Now, it does have, the later part of that chapter, he talks about the being saved by, you know, God is saving us, the church, the people, God's people. Right, but we have kind of an idea. So we have the tribulation, and then we have what most people think is God's wrath, and they're two different things. The tribulation is caused by the Antichrist, the fight, you know, Megiddo, Armageddon kind of stuff. And then we have the day of the Lord, which is the actual day of judgment. Right, so here's the application for this part. Is that we are free from God's wrath, but not suffering. So Jesus suffered, he took God's wrath for the believer, right? That is what frees us from having to withstand God's wrath. Right? We don't have to have face the second death that the Revelation talks about or the lake of fire because, again, in verse 9, Paul says it, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but, obtain, but to obtain salvation. Right? So we will not have to face everything that the non-believers want to face during the day of the Lord. And that's a very, 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 very good thing. Even if we have to live through the tribulation, that is nothing compared to what happens in the day of the Lord. So we need to encourage people to understand who Christ is, right? And we need to be Christ-like. We're, we're called to be like Christ, and so we must suffer with him. Right? So that is important. We suffer here for our day-to-day -day lives, but if we're here through the tribulation, we will most likely also suffer through that. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-7 through 7 says, You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials of the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? The revelation, when he comes back, when he shows back up, we will be, have been proven that we, are, we have been through the fire. Right? And so I think we've talked about it before. When you, assay, when you assay gold, when you find the gold flakes and nuggets and whatnot, you can heat it up and it will burn off all the impurities. It will just have the pure gold. And that's really what we're doing through this suffering. And so again, no matter how you think of when things are going to happen... You know, the fact of the matter is we won't be here for the day of the Lord. We won't be here for God's wrath, which is completely different than just looking at and suffering through the tribulation or anything that's going to go on in the tribulation. And so this suffering and our watchfulness allows us to be ready for when the Lord calls us home at the end of the age. And so 
The third point is that God wants us to be ready. My tech guy just walked out, so it's all right. So it's on your outline, though. For, so so for verses, verses 6 through 11 in chapter 5, God wants us to be ready. Paul is encouraging them to be ready. And he says, so then, right, since we're, not, we're, not children of the, we're children of light and not children of dark, Paul says, so then, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of God, or armor of faith and love and the helmet of, hopes and of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build, up, build each other up as you are already doing. Right? And so Paul gives them some admonishments, some encouragement. He says, I want you to be self-controlled. Right? Stay the course. Put on the, the armor of God. Why? Because you're on duty. We are on duty 24-7. Right? Paul says those who get drunk do it at night because it's dark. No one can see you and you're off work. Right? I don't have to go to work tomorrow so I can drink a whole keg and nobody's going to care. No, I won't. No, I don't. Right? But, <laughs> but, but you say that that's kind of your justification. Right? I have to go to work tomorrow. It's okay. Right? But for us, there's never a time when we're not on duty. There's never a time when we're not working. Right? And Paul is very, very straightforward to this. Right? Again, you are a Christian 24-7, not just on Sundays. When you're deployed to a war zone, you can never not pay attention. And you always have to be ready for an attack. Because even if you're going to the shower hut, you have to be ready. Because they may start lobbing mortar rounds at you just because they want to. They don't care that, well, Darren, we, we shouldn't do that because Darren's getting ready to take a shower. So we don't want to interrupt that. Right? Or they, well, they, it's breakfast time, so let's not mess with them now. That's always the more important part. Let's, let's do it now because they're all eating. And they may not be paying attention. Right? I, I used to, when I was a kid, I used to read a lot of books about uh, the Vietnam War. And they said the, the Viet Cong and the NBA, the North Vietnamese Army, would attack at like 3 to 4 in the morning. Because that's the, that's the time when you're most tired. Even if you're trying to stay awake and you're on watch, your body just kind of shuts down. And so that's when they would attack. They would know that. And so it's the same thing, right? When you, you're, the enemy is going to attack you it, when it's advantageous for him and not you. Right? So you have to wear your body armor when you're deployed all the time, just in case there's an attack, right? Living here, we have to be ready. When we lived in Mississippi, from the summertime, we had to be ready to go because of hurricanes. Right? So you have to have stuff to go and know how you're getting out of town and which highway. And the, other, the, the state has a plan to shut down both lanes and they'll have all the lanes go one way for a certain period of time. Right? Because they know these things have to happen. Right? Growing up in Pennsylvania, we would always get extra bread and milk because in case you had a blizzard, you had some food. I'm not sure why it was always bread and milk. I wanted to eat more things than bread and milk. But, you know, whatever. That's how it worked, right? But we have to be ready. And so here's the application, right? We have to get ready. We have to be ready. And we have to stay ready. Get ready. Be ready. And stay ready. So the way I broke this out is that getting ready 
is becoming saved, right? So the Thessalonian church, they, are, they already got ready. If you're a believer, you already got ready. Right? We've, we've been prepared, right? So this is being saved. This is becoming saved, right? This is the point of justification that has been worked out with the work of Christ's death on the cross. And you arriving at the point of time that you understand from the help of God, the Holy Spirit, that you are now saved. Right? There's, there is a choice in that. There is a part, there is a point in time where you say, yes, I understand I'm saved. Right? That's how the God's will and your will work together. You finally come to the realization that God is right and you get on board. It's kind of the easy, easiest way to describe it, right? But all of a sudden now, you are made alive in Christ. You are no longer dead because Christ makes you alive. He resurrects you spiritually, so now you are changed. Right, so in the military, though, this is, this is what I would think is the training you receive before you go. They don't just dump you off in the middle of the desert and say, all right, guys, you know how to shoot. Go that way. Right? They, they train you ad nauseum a lot of times. Those of us who have been in the military know that it's constant preparation, constantly going up, getting recalled at 3 in the morning, getting on the truck and going somewhere and pretending like you're at war and... We all fake it because nobody, we know it's not true, right? Well, I'm not fighting anybody except boredom and sleep, right? But the next thing is that we have to be ready. And again, we come back to this image that, that Paul uses in, as a thief earlier in the chapter, in chapter 5, right? It's also a description of the Lord that the, Jesus even uses, right? In Matthew 24, Luke 12, he describes it. I'm, it's going to be like a thief in the night, right? These are his own words. Right, 2 Peter 3.10, Revelation 3.3, Revelation 16.15. All of these use the same analogy, basically. It's going to come back. It's going to happen when you're least expecting it. Because guess what? Nobody expects to be robbed. Right? If not, I would never sleep. Because I would just stay awake all the time. That's why we have dogs now, though, really, right? <clears throat> but we know the end is coming sometime. We just don't know when. We have to be ready to go, right? In the military... You have your bags, you literally have your bags packed to grab at a moment's notice because it can't happen. September 11th hit, well, I, was in the, I was at the duty still. I was gone in a couple hours. I actually had to come home because we were preparing to go. We, were get, we had to do some other stuff in case we were going because we kind of got word of it. But I didn't bring myself with me, so I had to actually go home and get all my bags. But I thought it was still kind of fake, so I didn't have everything I needed like the right uniforms and my pillow and some other things that I needed. So I was like, hey, I need to go back home again to get some more stuff because I didn't think this was real. So I was not ready, 100% actually. All right, but we put, we put cameras up at the church here. We, we put cameras at home. We have the little ring doorbell thing. You can talk to people. It'll alert you even from here. There's somebody at your door. Cool. And you can even talk to them, trick them. Okay, what are you doing? But your readiness is only as good as you maintain that system. Right? And we see this on police shows a lot of times, right? A crime happens in a convenience store. They go, hey, I noticed you have cameras. They're like, yeah, it doesn't work. It's only as a deterrent. It's too expensive. It's too old. I don't care. I never got robbed before. So I didn't think it was a big deal. It's like, well, it doesn't help. It doesn't work. We don't use it. It's only for show. Hopefully, most of the people will see it. They think it's real. They're not going to do anything. Right? The ring doorbell has a, can has a battery in it, but you need to charge it. Some people may be still afraid of it just because it's there. 
But if they figure out that I can't talk to them, they can't talk to me on the ring doorbell, they're probably, oh, it's dead. It doesn't work. They can't see me. Ha-ha. Now I can break in. Right? Because sometimes the camera may fool some people to keep the people who are honest honest because they had no intention of robbing your house anyway. But other people are going to know it's a shell. Just like if we pretend we're Christians, people are going to figure it out. That's what I'm saying. We're always ready to go. We're always ready to show the witness of who we are. Because also the criminals don't care about the camera either. The enemy knows whether you're real, whether you're really walking the walk and talking the talk. And other people pick up on it too. Right? So God didn't save you so you could be, pretend to be a Christian. He saved you so you could tell other people about Christ and you could live out your redeemed life. And that's what we're here as a church to do. Now, we don't do it all the time. We don't do it right all the time. None of us do. But we know we are forgiven, so when we do make a mistake, we do have to apologize. We do have to ask for forgiveness. But we're not losing our salvation because of it. We're just, you know, we just have to make sure that we under, have other people understand that, yes, we're humans too. We're still human. We don't get to be turned into heaven or aliens or anything where all of a sudden we're perfect. And we just know, like, we're robots. Like, we just know what to do automatically by programming. We're still human beings, and we still have this, our will of what we want to do all the time, too. And we have to have it supplanted by God living in us, because that way it shows to other people. Right? And so, because really what that does is it's telling people the good news that God performed in your life with the, through the work of Jesus Christ. Right? That you say, yes. He is my Savior, and I live accordingly. And I am ready to go at any minute. When he calls me home, I'm ready. And so Paul's words are applicable today when they were written as they are for us today. Right? We're still waiting. But the idea that our loved ones and us later, eventually, possibly, will be called to live with Christ in his kingdom, that should give us comfort. Because this comfort is that we are avoiding God's wrath through being a child of God, right? He's not going to punish us like he's going to punish the, the non-believers. And also that God knows the end. He knows when the end's going to come. He has it all scripted. He's not just kind of writing as he goes. He said, oh, this is a good story. I like this part. You know, this is a good detour. This is a good thing over here. No, he knows exactly what's happening. And we can be comforted by that idea as well. So everything, everything may seem chaotic. We talked about it last, well, a lot, I guess. But the world seems chaotic. The world seems like it's just going out of control. But yet we know God is still in control of it. And so that should comfort us. Because also that we're not going to be here forever. But we know that his kingdom is going to endure forever. And we will be with him in that time frame. Right? In the meantime, though, the God wants us to be ready for his return because it is a matter of obedience as much as it is a matter of just readiness. Because we are trusting him at his word that these things will happen. We're not just throwing it away and saying, you know what, I've been a believer, but I don't think so because you haven't come back yet. It's been almost 2,000 years and you haven't come, so maybe it's not real. Right? It's stay the course. Stay the course and be ready because it's going to come unexpectedly right because just like the volcanoes they're not going to stay dormant forever right as, as was evidenced by the eruption of mount st helens the picture there we go 
All right, right? So nobody really thought that was going to happen in 1980. And now that, you know, the mountain's like two-thirds of its size, I think, or something like that, it blew off the actual top of it. Um, people who lived there didn't really expect that the devastation that would happen, happen, to happen. We get rumblings, but maybe nobody believes it, right? And we know that if we live there, we know that it can't explode, it can't happen any time, so you've got to be ready. And so one way we do that to be ready is by kind of reaffirming, right? We kind of stay ready by reaffirming our, our, our covenant with God, right? And we do that with the Lord's Supper, right? So we can do this, and so we're going to do the Lord's Supper today because we missed it last week. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and pray over the elements, and then we'll have uh, Bob and Mason, can you help out as well? I'm so excited. <clears throat> 